Good morning, Ebenezer. It is good to be with you. Um, the first service, I got a little choked up at that last song we sang. Uh, we sing it every Wednesday night, just about. We sing it a lot here on Wednesday nights. But uh, sitting there, and that song comes on, I'm about to come preach the word. And it just hit me that I, I got to pour into that young man that wrote that song that we sing so often here. And just the goodness of God. Um, because I remember a day when I didn't know Jesus. Because I was born in a house where Mama was a Baptist and Daddy was a Catholic and I was raised confused. We went to church regularly every Christmas and every Easter regularly. And we alternated. And, and I remember singing songs. That, and, 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 and also, I've I, I shared with, with, the, with the crowd that knows me, you've heard this many times before, but my mom was frugal. Like when summer came around, she didn't put us in daycare. She just signed us up for every vacation Bible school that was taking place in the community. And every one of them was a Southern Baptist church. And you know what that means, don't you? I had seven weeks of the same lessons every single week. So I was brainwashed. But if you'd asked me by the time I was 16, 17, 18 years old, if I was a Christian, I'd have told you yes. And the reason I'd have told you yes is because I believed in God. I, I knew some stories about God. I, I knew enough about the Bible to be dangerous. I went to church, be it twice a year and then a lot in summer. But if I'd have died, I'd have busted hell wide open. And what got to me was, is by the time I was 24 years old, what, what got to me in the first service, by the time I was 24 years old, you're looking, this dude was a train wreck. My life was all about me and what I could get out of this world. If you ever seen a dog on a chain chasing a car and it doesn't know how many links are in the chain, that's a redneck illustration. It doesn't work everywhere. I have to be careful where I share that. But y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? That's what it looked like. I passed out one night on a Saturday night watching a football game, and when I woke up, there was a dude on the TV named Billy Graham who said, if I want to have peace with God, to pray with him. I had gone to a Billy Graham crusade at the age of 21. My mother coerced me because she said Tom Landry was going to be speaking. Some of y'all don't know who Tom Landry is. Only the people with gray hair or no hair know who Tom Landry is. He was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He was a godly man. And I went to that crusade because he was speaking. He didn't talk about football for 10 seconds. All he talked about was Jesus. I was disappointed, to be honest with you. But then this guy, Billy Graham, gets up, and he starts speaking. I never heard of Billy Graham in my life. And he made a statement early on in his sermon that captured my heart, captured my mind, captured my everything about me. I was like ADD locked in. He said, your sin separates you from God. Now, there was no doubt in my mind by the time I was 21 years old at that time, I was a sinner. I was fully aware. I would hang out in places called Study Hall and the library. They, they were bars in downtown Columbia. That way when mom would call, I'd say, I've been at the study hall. Been going to the library, mom. But I wasn't studying. And it wasn't a real library. My life was out of control. But I made a volitional choice that day in that stadium, standing next to my mom. That preacher said, if you want to receive Christ, come on. And I knew in my heart that if I went down to that altar, something had to change in my life. And I loved my sin, and I didn't want to go down there. So I started getting on that chain and running my own way. Three years later, that night I passed out. I remember waking up. Billy Graham didn't preach. He already preached the message. He's talking to the TV. He's talking to the camera. He's looking right at me. He said, there's some of you at home right now. And I'm thinking, how does he know I'm at home? You think there's no way in the world God could love you. But God demonstrated his love towards you that while you're still a sinner, he died for you. Then he said this. If you want to have peace with God, pray with me right now. My world stopped. All I knew was this, as I was at war with God, I knew it, and I wasn't going to win. And so I got on my face and began to pray, whatever he was leading me to pray. And as I was praying, I began to realize my sin 
crucified Jesus. I did it. It wasn't somebody else's sin. I did it. The things that I loved, the things I pursued, the things I wanted that I knew were wrong, but I was going to get them anyway. Bless God. Don't tell me how to live my life. I'm 24 years old. I'm 21 years old. Whatever. Don't tell me how to live my life. And as I was on that floor, he didn't say get on the floor. I was on the floor. When I was on that floor and crying out to God, something happened. Something I'll never forget as long as I live. Something or someone invaded my soul. He was not there when I knelt down, but he, all of a sudden his presence in my life was very obvious. And when I stood up off the floor, I was a new creation. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew this. I cared all of a sudden. My heart was broken over the way I've been living. I realized the damage I had done in my, in my world. I'll never forget calling my mom and saying, Mama, I just gave my life to Jesus. I, don't, I didn't use that phrase because I didn't speak church. I said I prayed with Billy Graham or something, and, and, and she just wept, and she said, I've been praying for you for 24 years, son. She said, you need to call your uncle. He's one of the only people in my life up to that stage of life that had ever shared the gospel with me. I called my uncle. It's about 10 o'clock at night. He talked me back through the gospel, and he prayed with me again. I prayed the second time. He said, hey, you need to call my friend, the evangelist. I said, it's 1030. I'm not calling. He said, I'm going to call him first, and you're going to call him. I called his friend Gene, the evangelist there in town in Kentucky, and he took me through the gospel again, and they prayed with me again. I prayed three times that night to receive Christ. I got saved the first time. They just didn't believe it. That's how out of control life was. You know, about three months before that happened, my father, who I love with all my heart, my dad would go anywhere I was playing football. He'd be in the stadium. It didn't matter if there was snow falling. It was 20 below zero. My daddy was in the stadium. If you had to get on a plane to come watch, he was there. And my daddy, at the age of 24, stood in my face and said, I don't ever want to see you again, son. I've never been more disappointed in a human being than I am in you right now, and I don't want to see you anymore. But you know what the gospel did? The gospel brought us back together. And I got to be a part of leading my dad to Christ. That's the goodness of God. That's why I got so emotional at first service. And I'm thinking, man, from whence I have come, God, you are so good. That's who God is. I didn't even do that in the first service. They'd all heard it. So I, I want to share with you guys, before I forget, Coach Josh Taylor brought some players from Dakota Falls College. These guys are awesome dudes. I get to hang out with them. My son Josh plays with them. His wife India is with them, but my son Josh plays with them. They, they won four out of five games this week playing against NAIA schools. That, you don't know what that means. It just means they're bigger schools. It'd be like Eureka College playing Georgia in football. There you go. And they won four out of five. They should have won the fifth one. Dust was flying on that line. I called it. They, oh, I'm not going there. I'll get in trouble. I didn't say anything I shouldn't have said. I just said some things really loud. <laughs> Made my presence known. I, I want to tell you before, also, let's get this to you. And guys, thank you for coming. And Charlie, thank you for making me a prophet yesterday. I, he came up to bat with bases loaded. I said, there's salad, potatoes, and steaks on the bases, brother. Come on, swing it out of here. And the next pi first pitch, wasn't it? It was first pitch? His first pitch, man, it left the park. I'm like, yeah called that. And then I called a squeeze bunt. I said, watch this. Told Mike, I said, he's about to squeeze bunt. He squeezed bunt. Man, I, I think I should maybe be coaching with you. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I text my wife saying, say it. So that, let me just say, the Holy Spirit, Julie is speaking to me right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to forget. Now I'm in trouble. <laughs> Lunch is going to be brutal. Um, we, I did a thing this week. Uh, we were sitting on Thursday night uh, watching TV, and we're weird. We watch TBN. And by the way, I'm just going to go out and tell you, TBN has changed a lot. I, I mean, I would, used to not would never turn it on, but they've got some good stuff on there. It's not all good. Be careful what you, what you watch. But we're watching. We were watching uh, Greg Laurie and his wife talk about this movie, The Jesus Revolution. How many of you all seen The Jesus Revolution? Raise your hand high. All right, baby, we're going to get rid of them. All right, here we go. All right, so I texted Jamie Friday morning. I said, call me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something or a thing. I don't know what I said. And I don't normally want to bother a pastor on Friday. It's his day off. And, uh, and I 
but while we're sitting there watching this, Greg Laurie's talking about inviting your church to come or maybe even just rent out the theater. And so she's watching. I'm on my phone over there going to check. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing something. And uh, so we rented the theater. So today at 3.30, um, the tickets are already purchased. I've been told. The tickets are already purchased. Like, you don't have to buy the tickets. I think we have 80 tickets left for the 3.30 showing of the Jesus Revolution. If you've not seen it, or if you have seen it, if you've not seen it, you need to go. If you have seen it, you need to go, but you need to bring somebody who needs to see it. This, this is the handles on the sermon today. I'm just doing this up front because I will not remember in the end, and then I'll be in huge trouble when I go over there. So if you've not seen it, I want you to see my wife at the end of service. She's going to be in the connection room. She has the tickets. She's going to put the tickets in your hand. They're free. You don't have to buy them. Have I said that enough? All right. So you don't have to buy them. They're free. But we, and we want you to go. We want that place filled. And here's the deal. At the end of the movie, Jamie gets to share the gospel because we rented it. Okay? So, and if you get later in the day and you, you've got somebody that will go, text my wife or text me or text Josh or text somebody. Let us know. If we've got tickets, we'll make it happen. We want you to come. And, and there's a reason why I want you to come. Because when you go in that movie and you watch it, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute. I want you to walk out of there like I walked out of there. Lord, do it again. Do it again. So today we're going to be talking about the mystery of the in-between. And, and, and we're going to talk about revival. We're going to talk about what God is doing in this church. And by the way, I, don't know, I haven't been able to get up here and preach because we, we let Fred have the pulpit and, and then Jamie came. And I just want to ask you a question. Are y'all as pleased as I am at the man of God that God sent to us? Is it not incredible what God is doing in this church with this man of God? I've told him this. He knows this the first time I met him. I told him the minute I heard he was a Dallas Theological Seminary graduate, I knew we had God's man because I knew he's going to come in here and open the word of God and he's going to feed us. And man, it's been awesome. I sit here, I come with anticipation every week of what I'm going to learn from the word of God. And brother, you're a blessing. Lord, you are too. The whole family has been a blessing. We're in Acts. Take your Bible, turn there. The mystery of the in-between. Let me set this up. I was in El Paso, Texas, uh, February, kind of the middle. February. I was seeing on Facebook about what was going on at Asbury. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. I'm going to educate you a little bit here. But there was a revival that had, that had started at Asbury College. And so there's a local man in town. His name's Bob Wiley. He's a doctor. And uh, he's a member of the Lions Church. And I got to know him in 2015 when we did the revival here. He's a big prayer warrior. And I didn't know this at the time. I found out later in, in lunch with him one day. He was there in Asbury in 1970 when the revival, that, that revival that hit that year happened. And then he was a trustee at the school. And, and so I knew he would know, and I called Bob, and I, I, we, I was literally sitting on the plane, and I called Bob, I said, Bob, I'm really feeling compelled to go check out this, what's going on at Asbury. I, I said, I just feel like I need to go see and put eyes on it. And, and I said, is this real, you think this is legit? He said, Steve, this is legit as I could possibly tell. He said, he said, we've not gotten up there yet, but we want to go too. And so I hung that phone up, and the, the stewardess is looking at me because we're backing up, and I'm, I'm like, one more call real quick. And I called. I called my wife. I said, baby, um, I'm, I'm going to book us, or not book us, but book us a hotel, so we're going to go up to Asbury to the revival. And I said, you're going with me. I don't care if you've got ribbon cuttings. I don't, I don't care what. I don't care if you're meeting with the governor. I don't care. You're going with me. And, uh, and she, she came, and I can't wait for the day when I don't have to clear her schedule to get her on my schedule. It's going to happen. And, and so anyway, we went up there, and it was late, it was raining, and it was cold. And when I say it was raining, we literally drove over a pond that had overflowed into the road on a road that looked like a golf cart path. That's the kind of road we were on to get there. I was looking at her, just to tell you who's the spiritual one in the family is, I was looking at her like, let's just go to the hotel. She's like, no, we're going to this revival. Now, we got there at 1130 at night. It's raining, it's cold, I've already said that. And there's a line to get in. 
How many of y'all standing in the cold rain at 11.30 at night to go into a church service? That's when you know something's going on. And we walked into that service. It is unbelievable. But let me give you a little backstory along with that. The week that the revival was wrapping up, which would have been the next week, this was the Thursday before the last Thursday we were there, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So the following Thursday, they're going to wrap it up. We knew that was going to happen because the Saturday we were there, we estimated there's probably 40 or 50,000 people on the campus of Asbury College, University, whatever it is, and there's no way that town could sustain what was going on. It's just a little bitty town in Wilmore, Kentucky. So sure enough, they, they, they designated the following Thursday night as the last Thursday night. Now, it just so happens, coincidentally, I'm sure, that in 2022, there was a group of people that are associated with the collegiate prayer movement that started in the Second Great Awakening back in the 1800s. They were celebrating the 200th year anniversary of the collegiate prayer ministry. May of 2022, they're putting together the time, the place, and the location. And I, I, I'm sure it's a coincidence, but the time and the place was Asbury on the Thursday night that they planned to close it out. Francis Chan was coming in, and they were going to have this big event, celebrate the collegiate prayer, and, 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 you know, it just coincidentally lined up on the same day. Also, talking about the movie we're talking about, The Jesus Revolution, on the Thursday it closed down, or they closed it to the public. On the Wednesday night prior to that, this movie, The Jesus Revolution, came out. It had been in production just for seven years. I mean, no big deal. But it coincidentally just lined up on the Wednesday before they're going to shut it down. Guess what the movie is based on? I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you. It's about a revival that started at Asbury. I think Jesus is in heaven sometimes looking at us going, they're just like the disciples. It's right in front of them. They can't even figure it out. God is up to something. He's doing a work. And the reason we put this handle on, the reason I feel like the Lord told me to do it, is because the whole thing, the whole what we're talking about today is about going. And so this is practice. Because we've got another, another event coming up Tuesday night. When, is it No, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Tuesday night we're practicing, right? Right? Is that church people coming to that? Church people are encouraged to come to that. So we want you to come on Tuesday night. It's, it's no fun practicing unless you have people. So just come on. We want you to be here. So that's coming. I'm telling you, the last two years we've done this, last year, the first year we did it was good. Last year it was huge. I mean, it was massive. I believe this year it's going to be un, 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 unthinkable. It's going to be massive. It's a great opportunity. People will get saved. And so we need to understand what God is up to. He's, he's doing something in our midst. And so I want you to, we're in Acts chapter 1, I want you to start thinking the mystery of the in-between. And, and, and so as long as we, Leonard Ravenhill says, as long as we live in contentment without revival, we'll never see a revival. As long as we're content to live without revival, we will. We'll live without it. And what I'm praying for in this room is a holy discontentment. And so I want to give you some things before we get into the scripture. I want to give you some things, some thoughts that I wrote down as we walked into that room uh, that first night on Thursday night. So we walked in. Probably got in about 11.50, and the room was full. 1,500 people. There wasn't a seat in place. That's why there was a line outside. And so I wrote this down. I just wrote down observations. The room is full of anticipation. People are lingering with the Lord. There's an enjoyment in the room. There's worship, and it's honest, and it's pleasant, not showy. Humility is heavy. People are flooding to the altar, all ages. Tears and cries of rejoicing are all happening at once. There is a spirit of waiting, a constant and unified rhythm of worship in the room. And I brought it off to the side, one accord. Then God gave me a contrast in my heart. And we're going to talk about that contrast in depth here. I wrote down, there's a spirit of adoration as opposed to a spirit of 
toleration that permeates the church today. Adoration versus toleration. The room is timeless. No one is looking to leave. A desire to linger with God. So the entire congregation is a choir. Continuous praise to the Father. Exaltation. It blew my mind. There was no words on the wall. And they'd sing some of these modern day contemporary songs and, and we sing them here. There's some of them I'm not a big fan of. I'm, Jamie and I have had this conversation. There's some theology in there. That, but they'd start singing the old exaltation songs. Some of you guys my age, you'll remember this. Remember the song, We Exalt Thee. Y'all didn't know I could sing so good, did you? <laughs> remember that song? They would start singing that song. It was like a plane taking off. It got louder. We were there for three hours that night. Two and a half, three hours. It seemed like we were there for 45 minutes. We went back the next day. We stood in line for three hours. Nobody was talking about the Georgia Bulldogs or the Kentucky Wildcats. or The entire three hours we talked about Jesus and what God was doing. The next day, we went back Saturday. We didn't even get in, but we stayed in line for five hours. When we left, there was a line about a mile and a half long of adults to get in. And they had separated out that day because they wanted the students to have first priority. They had separated the students and the old people out away from each other. They had another line of students, and they had already let 1,500 of them in, and it was about a half mile long. There was a line to get into the into the overflow room, which sat another 700 people. It was about a quarter mile long. People just hanging out. Nobody, nobody getting mad and frustrated and cursing and going and bless people out because we're not getting in on, you know, none of that. Five hours. I just be honest. I, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because you'd be lying in church. How many of you waiting five hours? It was cold, by the way. I couldn't even feel my toes for four days. It was cold. Five hours to get into a church or a chapel for a church service. That, by the way, didn't have an ending. Like you weren't getting out in an hour. So that's the difference between adoration and toleration. See, we tolerate God. I shared in the first service, I, 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 just stop thinking about this. If we spend five hours a week going to church, praying, studying scriptures, if we spend five hours a week, most, most pastors would be pleased if, if their church members spent five hours a week with God. I spent at least eight hours at baseball field this week. Ten hours. Adoration versus toleration. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples once again. You know, they've seen the supernatural over and over and over again. They're about to see it again. Can you imagine talking to Jesus? He's died on the cross. He's come back from the dead. And as you're talking to him, he's taken up into heaven right in front of your very eyes. That's some weird stuff. That's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you'd think we'd figure this out. Verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the, of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when will you, or will you at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they asking? And you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. If it offends you, I can't help you. The question was this. When are you going to make Israel great again? Because they were on the wrong agenda. You see what? We need to understand that the mystery is, is the first thing we've got to understand is there, there's, a, there's a plan. And it's not our plan. It's God's plan. 
And, and, and the point, the first point, which is, is the power behind the plan. So we're going to look at the plan and the power behind the plan. But understand, they weren't even on the same plan, much less in the power of God yet. And they've done all of this for three years. They've walked with him. They've heard him teach. They, they've heard him say, I had to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. They're, remember, Peter, oh, that'll never happen to you, Lord. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because you're looking at this through the, the eyes of man. You're not on my agenda. So he dies on the cross, and he said he was going to come back three days. He comes back three days later. He does everything he says he's going to do. But yet they still think it's about restoring their comfort, their authority. Put us back in power, God. Let us rule the world again, God. We can do a better job. Not than Jesus can. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. There's a plan and there's power for that plan, but we have to understand that we cannot get to the, be a part of that plan if all we're going to do is tolerate God in our life. How hungry are you to have something even close to what I described that we saw in Asbury? How hungry are we? Are we just comfortable with the 9 to 11.30 schedule on Sunday, the 6 to 7 schedule on Wednesday, and hey, I'll throw in a couple Bible studies with you, Lord, during the week, and I'll throw up some prayers that mostly will be about what you can do for me. Wow, Steve, that's kind of harsh. You want to hear something harsh? Listen to this. Let me, let me give you the contrast between toleration and adoration. This is, this is just a biblical illustration. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Heartless, unholy, ungrateful, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. So we're not talking about the world here. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into household, capture weak women, burdened with sins, and lead astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. That's toleration of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. This is what a person who is deeply in love, adoring Christ, longing for his presence, wondering when he's coming back. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through apostles. And all who believed were together and had one thing and all, all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all, as many had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. That's a biblical contrast of toleration and adoration. How do we get to this Acts 22 
or 42 through 47. I'm glad you asked. Because when we look at what's happening here, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's coming. He had taught them about the Holy Spirit. He had, he had dwelt with them and, and, and taught them. And again, they're, they're still having a, a hard time understanding. But let's cut them some slack. Because we talk about the Holy Spirit post-Holy Spirit coming. They had never experienced the Holy Spirit. They, they'd, never, they'd never, certainly not experienced them the way they're about to experience them in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of this multitude came, as, as the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, uneducated country folk? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own native gauge, in our own native tongue? What was happening? God was fulfilling his promise, and these people, these, this group of people, this 120 people, they were longing for his presence. They were in a desperate mindset. They had Jesus. He was with them. He brought them comfort. He brought them confidence. He showed them all kinds of signs and wonders, and all of a sudden, right before their very eyes, he's taken up into the sky, and they don't know what's about to happen. And listen, it gets worse before it gets better. And so in this process of happening, they, they, they step out. I'm going to skip forward. In, in verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed him, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Now I'm just going to get light for a moment because this is heavy I've already done it once and pastor didn't correct me in between so I'm going to do it again so you missed your opportunity if I messed up does anybody ever think about Peter and just go shake your head like dude do you think before you speak because when I read this remember I told you my background for these people are not drunk as, as you suppose because it's only the third hour What's that mean? Does it mean the fifth hour is okay? But they weren't drunk. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were acting like they, people had never seen people act before in public. They, they, were, they were so filled and in, in speaking in tongues, languages, that it amazed the people who were watching. Then Peter preaches through the, the prophecy of Joel, and then he preached the message of repentance. And then in verse 37, he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom God calls to himself. The power of the plan is now in place. And the plan is beginning to take place. And, and, and people are getting saved. And, and, and we, we see this proclamation. Not, and the next thing is the proclamation of God and the path to God. He's giving them the clear path to God. Do you understand? that what, in, in this amazement that these people are looking, they're looking for answers. They've gone through the most religious moment of their year. They've just finished the Passover. And they're just like a bunch of people that go to church. They come, they hear. It's right in the midst of them. The answer's right there. But yet they were unsatisfied. They didn't understand what the plan was. The plan was, was they were going to be redeemed. And not just the Jews, but now all tribes, all people. This is Ephesians chapter 3 taking place. The mystery of the church is the, is the taking of the gospel to the Gentiles. And God chose Paul to do that. Why? Because Paul was both Roman citizen and Jew, the Jew of Jews. 
So he would take the gospel to kings and the leaders and the churches all over Asia Minor. Why? Because that was God's plan. It was his purpose. And we need to understand his plan and his purpose is for us. We are the disciples. If you're a believer in this room, you have the same calling. We have the same calling that these disciples had, which was to proclaim the gospel in the public realm. Not just in church, but out there. To go and to trust that the Holy Spirit is sending us, taking us. I shared a story earlier this week. It's an old story. I might have shared it here before. But I was in a restaurant with my mom three years ago, four years ago. Uh, it was when uh, David and Sarah Steele were just starting in their journey to go to Brazil. And, and, and I was asked to go up to, to Louisville to go to the, the IMB conference that launches you as a missionary. Well, it just so happened it was my mom's birthday, and I'm a smart dude. I was in Louisville. She lives in about 45 minutes away. I'm going to see my mama for her birthday because I'm smart. And uh, so I went to, we, we went to lunch or dinner, and my sisters are sitting there with us and their, their husbands and my mom. And I always ask the waiters or waitresses when they come to my table, how can I pray for you? What's your name? How can I pray for you? What's the greatest spiritual need you have in your life? Well, this young man came to the table. I asked his name. It was some big old long name, and I just called him T. I said, T, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? He's, he just kind of stuck his hand out like didn't want any part of it, and I just left it alone. In my mind, I'd I done my job, done my thing. As I'm sitting there, y'all going to think I'm weird, but you're going to be wrong. So I'm sitting there. The Lord tells me he's 24 years old. Now, when he said that, I knew, I, 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 I knew where God was going. I got really bold. I looked at my family, I said, T is 24 years old. What? Now, who, who are you? T comes back to the table. I said, T, how old are you? He said, I'm 24. They're looking at me like, you set us up. No, God did. I said, T, this is my mom. We're celebrating her birthday today. There was a time I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I remember calling her, and she said, I've been praying for you for 24 years, son. And I looked at him, I said, T, T, who's praying for you? And he dropped his head. He said, my grandma's praying for me. I said, I'm going to tell you something. She's going to win. Left it alone. We eat dinner, I go out, get the car, pulling up in the handicapped parking spot. My sister comes out, Allison comes out, my younger sister, she said, T's in there waiting for you, you need to get back inside. So I walk back in the Cheddars, we're standing in the lobby, there's a frosty glass right here, right about there, and I share the gospel with T. He said, I need to hear more about Jesus. I share the gospel with T. T prays to receive Christ right there in the foyer. As I'm, as I'm praying with him, and he prays and says amen, a lady gets up out, she's on the other side of the glass. She gets up and comes around. Right in front of my mom, says, I need you to come to my table. My husband needs to hear what you just told him. I'm looking at my mom going, this is getting weird. I walked around that glass and started walking the table. I didn't know what I was about to get into. But I sat down and that man looked at me and said, you don't need to say a word. I need to give my life to Jesus. And he got saved. Why did I tell you that story? Because when we get in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we get in the plan with God, God does crazy things. He does crazy things. But we're so scared and we're so disconnected so often. And I want to show you why. I want the last thing I want you to see is we're going to look at the passion of God. I want you to understand where this comes from. The things that I do and the things that He does and the things that people that are faithful and out sharing the gospel, let me tell you why. Because it's the passion of God. Take, take your Bible and, 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 and turn to Psalms 37. Y'all, y'all familiar with this verse? Psalm 37, 4. A lot of you probably got it hanging on your wall or somewhere. The verse says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. 
Now, I said this in the first service. It was kind of funny, so I'm going to say it again. Let me tell you what that does not mean. That doesn't mean if you sit here and worship God really hard today, that when you go out in the parking lot, your old beat-up pickup truck is going to be a BMW. It's not going to happen. Andrew, I did pray that the old beat-up pickup truck would turn to a BMW. I looked, and it was still an old beat-up pickup truck. That's not what it means. It means when our heart gets aligned with God, when we're open and adoring God and exalting God, He takes His desires and He puts them in our heart. And we begin to operate not on our own desires, not on our own agenda, but under the agenda of God. And people start to get saved. And people start to hear God. And they, they, they hear of God because they're seeing, they're watching our lives be lived out in front of them. It's nothing special other than just surrendering and submitting to the de desires of God. But be careful. I shared this in the first service. I, I just think you need to understand there, there's, there's some history with desire and delight that we might want to take note of before we just dive into this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Y'all know what we're talking about now, right? Genesis 3, there was a tree, some fruit, a snake. So when God saw that, when, when, I'm sorry, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it and gave some to her husband. It's not just any desire, it's not just any delight. It's delighting in the Lord and getting His desire in our heart. And when we get His desires, we do the things He wants us to do. And, and we, don't, we don't do it shy. We're, we're bold because we've got confidence because it's His desire. doesn't mean you're not scared. There, there was some fear and trepidation before I stepped in the pulpit. There is every time. Because I don't want to get up here and say something stupid. I don't want to get up here and mess something up. So I always tell right when I step out, Lord, I am completely incapable, but I'm willing. Because I'm stepping up those stairs. I get it. I understand the fear. But we need to understand the reality is, is Christ has called us to this. This is His plan. This is His desire. This is His will. This is why He came and died on a cross. This is it. And until we get our place lined up, our lives lined up in that place, we're going to live our lives tolerating God, going through the motions, rather than serving Him out of adoration, hanging with Him. You don't have to be in a chapel full of people worshiping God to linger with God. You can linger with God in your kitchen, in your den. It's not the where or how many are there, it's, just, it's, it's the what. He longs to fellowship with us so we can have his heart. So let me just say something to you. There's some of you in this room, you've heard this and you know this. But before you go, you need to come. Because you're not just going to go in your own power and see God move. You've got to be going in His power, the Holy Spirit. And that comes when you yield your life to Him. You see, I think the church has a whole lot of people in it that learn how to navigate God. They've learned how to fit in. They've learned how to speak the language. But they've never been saved. They'll go to church because they know it's going to be over in an hour. Or in this case, an hour and 30 minutes, 25 minutes. It's got a beginning and an end. A start time and a finish time. And that's not the relationship Jesus wants with us. He's always on the clock. He's always with us. And He wants us to linger with Him. So I'm going to ask you, 
Maybe, just maybe, God brought you here today, or you showed up like you always show up, and God has a plan. And He's speaking to your heart. It's not Steve. It's the Holy Spirit. I don't have the ability to change anybody in this room. I have a hard time changing my clothes. I can't change anybody. But the Holy Spirit can and wants to. But you have to yield. You have to give up. And let Him have control. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I, you know, I say this every time I preach. I'm not going to embarrass a single person in this room. That, this is business between you and God. But if you're here today, this is simple. Right now, in this room, if you're sitting here, and in your heart, you're not convinced that when you die, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. I'm talking about absolutely convinced. There's no doubt in my mind. You might be struggling with that. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed, no one looking around. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just be honest. Say, Steve, I'm, I'm really, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Just hold it up. Put it back down. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? If that's you right now in your heart, would you pray right now? Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know the things that I do, that I choose to do, are offensive to you. And I don't know why I choose to continue to do them, but I, I just do. But Lord, today, I want to be changed. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you came up out of the grave. And I'm asking you to do what your Bible says, what your word says. I'm asking you to make me a new creation. To change me from the inside out. To take the old things away and fill me and change me. I repent. Lord, I'm tired of living my life this way. My heart is heavy. And I know I need you. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to embarrass a single person in this room. If you prayed that with me, honest before a holy God, just raise your hand. Say, Steve, right now, praise God. Anybody else? Honest before a holy God. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask those of you that raise your hand, only those that raise your hands, just look right up here at me. Look right up here at me if you raise your hand. Did you mean it, bud? Did you mean it right here? Did you all mean it over here? Look right up here at me. If you raise your hand. Did you mean it? If you prayed it and you meant it, I'm going to ask you one more thing. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. I'm still not. Just stand to your feet right where you're at. Just stand to your feet right where you're at. If you prayed it and you meant it, stand to your feet. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. God's doing a work in this building. Amen. Anybody else? You prayed it, you meant it. Stand to your feet. I'm going to ask those to stand to your feet. Again, I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just step out and come right down here. Come on. Just come on. Step out come down here. Come on, brother. Right here. Step out come right down here. Come on. Come on. Don't be afraid. Greatest decision you ever made. Come on down here. Let's line up right here. Praise God. Ain't nothing like seeing people come to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, pray. God is doing a work in our midst. All heaven is rejoicing right now. The greatest decision you ever made. It's the greatest decision you ever made. I, I promise you, heaven is rejoicing. And I, I want you to understand that what is taking place is the Holy Spirit is now dwelling inside of you. You don't ever have to worry ever again. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's going to be with you everywhere you go. That's a great thing, 
And that's a scary thing. Because he's going to be with you everywhere you go. And there's going to be some places we wander off to in life sometimes that he's going to remind us we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be doing this. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. So I'm going to ask you, we got one counselor. I need a couple counselors. If I could have some people. Small group. Somebody lead. Seniors. I need a couple of you. Come on, baby. Baby. Miss Becky, come on. Miss Becky, come on. Coach. We're going to take you out and they're going to talk to you for about three minutes. Okay? They just want to talk to you. Okay? Just go with them. Pastor, where we're going? Right here. Follow him. Follow the pastor. Just go with them. It's going to take three minutes. I promise. They're going to be close. Church. The stand. God is doing a work in our midst. Others of us are in this room. You know you're saved. But you got stuff in your life that's standing between you and obedience. And every Sunday we treat this altar like it's got typhoid fever on it or something. When the scriptures are clear, He is faithful and just. If we will confess our sin, He's faithful and just. So we can have an unbroken relationship with Him and adore Him and worship Him. But you got to make up your mind. Do you love the things you're doing? Are they satisfying your soul? Maybe is God doing something in your life today? He wants to change. He wants to bring you back, church. Not just to the building, but to Himself. This altar is open. We're going to worship. We're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. Honor Him with your heart of devotion, adoration. Love Him. Come to Jesus.